0: Our scripture reading this morning is from uh, one place in the Old Testament and then also a few verses in the New Testament. First of all, Malachi 3, verse 10, and then we'll turn to 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. Malachi 3, verse 10, uh, God says this to his church in the Old Testament. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. And then in 2 Corinthians 9, starting at verse 6, God speaks to his New Testament church. Uh, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, You will abound in every good work. As it is written, He has scattered abroad His gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That's God's word for us this morning. During the past ministry season, we've been talking together and, and going to Scripture under the theme, building the household of God. And household or family is one of the ways the Bible refers to the church. Right? It's God's household, the family of God. And a topic churches tend not to talk about a ton because people can get very, very touchy about it is giving and finances, even though the Bible spends quite a bit of time talking about how God's people are to handle their money. We're told that in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one out of six verses deals with our money and possessions of Jesus 29 parables 16 deal with a person and his or her money using the language of building and construction as we've been doing we're going to look today at biblical pillars for giving pillars for a godly and giving home biblical pillars also for a church that gives if any of these pillars are weak, there will be a weakness in the giving of God's people. And, and so let's listen to these biblical principles. And as we do, we want to make sure that each pillar is strong, that it's sturdy, so that uh, we're giving biblically. The first pillar is that giving is proportional. It's proportional. And this is where uh, the idea of the tithe comes in. And uh, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've heard that term. If you haven't, that might sound odd to you, the tithe. Uh, But this is proportional giving is where the idea of the tithe comes in. Uh, Malachi 3.10 that we read referred to it back in the Old Testament. And it is an Old Testament-based principle. Ten percent of what the Israelites had was to be used for the upkeep of the tabernacle and the temple and the Levites who were the clergy of the day. There are a few different ideas on this and how and whether it applies uh, to Christians today. Um, without being overly dogmatic about it, I believe the tithe does absolutely apply today. The Old Testament is God's Word. Moving to the New Testament, when Jesus comes, any number of Old Testament laws were fulfilled, passed away in a sense, and where that's true, the New Testament makes that very clear. But nothing is said about the tithe passing away. And I think we have to take that seriously as we think about our giving. Some Christians act like it's not about the tithe anymore, but then I would wonder why the Bible talks about it. You know, we can overanalyze and we can argue this way or that, uh, but this isn't rocket science. I want to say it's not brain surgery, but it hits a little too close to home. This isn't rocket science. The Bible says, God says, Bring the whole tithe. And the idea behind the tithe is this. You give as you've been blessed. And this is tremendously freeing, but it also carries with it a great deal of responsibility. It means there's no set amount that a Christian is to give back to the Lord. It means that no church should ever tell someone how much money to give except that it be in proportion to a household's income. Uh, Most folks I've heard say that the 10% is sort of the baseline, sort of the starting point for New Testament Christians. And also, most Bible teachers will tell you that uh, the way God intended it is that most of the tithe ought to go to one's local church. And then offerings are beyond that to other causes if you've been so blessed. And this is uh, what a lot of people over the years have thought the Bible means by tithes and offerings. The biblical idea of the tithe Proportional giving, giving as you've been blessed—all different ways of talking about this pillar. And and the question is uh, for each of us: uh, how how are how are you doing? Do we need to reevaluate our giving? J.D. Rockefeller once said, "I never would have been able to tithe." Uh, the first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 per week. And the key is to start now. No matter where you're at, if you're not doing this, everyone every, you think this is just impossible if you're not close to this. Everyone thinks that once they get on a better financial footing, well, then I will start with this tithe thing. Uh, once I start making more money, once I have less expenses, once I get that car paid off, you know what? If we keep thinking that way, it will never, ever happen. We've got to start now. It's a faith thing. You've got you to go for it. Our giving uh, must be the first 10%, not the last before tuition payments, before vacations and all the rest. If you did not start doing this from the very beginning of earning your income, it's going to be tough to get on track. There's no doubt about it. But you can start getting on track now. And the reality is that if you do it His way, God works it out as I know he has for so many faithful givers throughout the ages. Sarah and I can testify it to ourselves that God works it out. Uh, We really can. Someone once said, it's not what you do with the million if fortune should ere be your lot, but what are you doing at present with the dollar and the quarter you got? And you know, speaking of a dollar and a quarter, the cool thing about this pillar, uh, proportional giving in God's ingenious plan means that even if your income is very little, even if you've been struggling, yet you can contribute to God's kingdom work. If you're on a fixed income or if you've been struggling workwise, you don't have to feel guilty that you haven't been able to contribute what you want. We're called to keep giving back faithfully as we've been blessed and and God can use that. God can do more with the widow's might for the kingdom than you or I can do with a million dollars. He's God. We're just called to be faithful. We're just called to listen to his word and then watch him do his thing. Watch him do the rest. They say in 1983... U.S. churchgoers go- donated a total of $21.5 billion. $21.5 billion. But if churchgoers in 1983 had donated, had tithed 10%, they would have given not $21.5 billion, but $134 billion. A more recent statistic from 2012 shows that despite Uh, the pretty clear biblical principle of the tie that Christians are giving, on average, uh, about 2.5% of their incomes. They estimate that Christians were giving more during the Great Depression than they are now. In the Great Depression, they estimate Christians were giving 3.3%, now 2.5%. We're doing so much... I believe, with the generosity of God's people at faith. And I sure hope that we're beating the statistics as givers. And I'm pretty sure we are. But think if God's people at faith were tithing. Think about that. Think about how much more we could do how you wouldn't have to hear the deacons tell us that, that key funds like the General Fund and Timothy are low. If everyone were tithing, it would be more than covered. Trust me. Wouldn't it be cool if we gave like that, if that proportional pillar were strong for all of us, if it were sturdy at Faith Church? And that leads us to a second foundational pillar: sacrificial giving. Uh, C.S. Lewis once said, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. And a, a verse that we read in 2 Corinthians 9 says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. And so you see, it must come from the heart. The heart of the faith and the heart of giving is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who gave Himself up for His people to save us from our sin. He saved us with His blood and we're called likewise to live sacrificial lives in all areas of our life, not only giving. 2 Corinthians 8-7 says, Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnest of your love, also excel in giving. And so giving is included with some pretty basic parts to the Christian life. Faith, speech, knowledge, love, and giving. Is it as important to our lives as these other obvious areas like our speech, like our love, like our faith? Excelling in everything. We want to excel as believers. We want to be a church that doesn't just sort of get by, slip by. I don't believe that's enough for living in our day and age. uh, Where churches, where Christians are living lukewarm lives too often. Where the statistics show Christians are giving at mediocre levels We don't have to go along with the crowd. Your home doesn't have to. This church doesn't have to go along with the crowd. We can make life-transforming decisions to go against the tide to excel in the Christian life. God doesn't call us to moan and complain about the trends in our nation and the statistics that the Gallup polls give us. He doesn't call us to point the finger at others. He doesn't call us to compare ourselves to other churches. He calls us to look in our own hearts and to respond to what God has done for us in Jesus, and excel and build a great household of faith here, to rise up, to respond in faithful service and sacrifice in, respond to all, in response to all that Jesus has done for us. And we can do all that with the Holy Spirit's grace and power. We can. And we can do it in giving as well as love, speech, knowledge, and the rest. And, you know, this is not something uh, to broadcast. When and where, by God's grace, perhaps we do excel in the Christian life. We don't boast. We don't broadcast it. Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher and his wife. um, According to an account, uh, they, they would sell to people, but they refused to give away the eggs that their chickens laid. Even very close relatives of the Spurgeons were told... You can have some of these eggs if you pay for them. And as a result, some people labeled the Spurgeons greedy. Now they never said anything about this. They accepted the criticisms without defending themselves. And only after Mrs. Spurgeon died was the full story revealed. All the profits from the sale of eggs went to support two elderly widows. And it's because the Spurgeons were unwilling to let their left hand know what the right was doing, like Matthew 6, 3 says. And so they endured those attacks in silence. Uh, they were generously giving, generously supporting two people in great need, uh, but they didn't broadcast it. They didn't boast. Maybe for you this morning, uh, your proportional Pillar is pretty strong, that first one. But what about that second pillar, biblically speaking? Is your giving sacrificial? Is my giving sacrificial? Are we excelling in giving? There's a third pillar, and it's that giving is cheerful. Our text says we should not give reluctantly, we should not give under compulsion. And then it says, God loves a cheerful giver. Our emotional health is very important in life too. And this principle is kind of about that. It's about our attitude in giving. A mother once gave her little girl a quarter and a dollar for church. Uh, Put whichever one you want in the collection plate and keep the other for yourself. The psychology behind that we won't... um, Criticized for now. Uh, when they were coming out of church, the mother asked her daughter which amount she had given. Well, said the little girl, I was going to give the dollar, but just before the collection, the man in the pulpit said that we should all be cheerful givers. I knew I'd be a lot more cheerful if I gave the quarter, and so I did. A missionary uh, was in a church once, and he was speaking on the ne- of the need on the foreign fields, as they used to talk about. And uh, they were going to receive an offering to help out with the work. A man was uh, sitting next, right on the aisle about halfway down. He had folded his arms and he sat with a grim look and there was a scowl and a frown on his face. Um, he didn't, It didn't look like he wanted to be there. Maybe his wife made him come or something. Well, when the deacon held the plate out in front of him, he just shook his head. The usher jiggled the plate invitingly. Still, the only response was the head shake. The deacon leaned over and whispered, it's for missions, you know. Still the scowl and the mumbled sentence, I don't believe in them. This deacon... Was a sharp guy. He leaned down and said, "Then, then you take some out. It's for the heathen anyway." <laughs> Giving should not happen under compulsion. It should not be coerced, says the Bible. Now, sometimes there are pastors and ministries that uh, put guilt trips on people, and they can manipulate. And you know, there are people in the church that can put guilt trips on themselves as they listen to sermons on giving too. Cracking the whip may result temporarily in more dollars and cents, but it's not ultimately the way. God loves a cheerful giver. We give out of God's grace just as we live all our lives out of God's grace. There are preaching and church styles that really... Lay down the law in a sense. And I I hope you've never sensed that here at Faith CRC. I don't believe we've ever been manipulative in terms of our finances. And we're not going to start being that way. We're going to be straightforward about the church's needs. Straightforward about the Bible's call to give. And then we trust in the Holy Spirit to work in His people. And to build God's house. We give not under compulsion at faith, but with cheer, with a smile on our face, just as we go about our Christian life in general. Sometimes circumstances and the devil pull us down, yes. Sometimes in the church and in our own homes, finances stress us out and make us grumpy and cranky, yes. It happens. Sometimes life is hard, but that's not the normal way of it for a believer. Cheerful giving is the normal way. The final pillar is blessing, and you see that in the Malachi verse and in Second Corinthians nine two. J. L. Kraft, who is the head of the Kraft Cheese Corporation, who had given He'd given approximately like 25% of his enormous income to Christian causes for many years. He said, the only investment I ever made, which has paid consistently increasing dividends, is the money I've given to the Lord. Uh, a well-to-do believer from Philadelphia, Captain Levy, once was asked how he could give so much money away to the kingdom and the church, and still possess such great wealth. And the captain replied, "Oh, as I shovel it out, God shovels it in, and, and he's got the bigger shovel." Both of those examples, I realize, are from people who were very wealthy. And I want to be quick to say that when we talk about this fourth pillar of blessing, the Bible doesn't guarantee to you fantastic wealth. If you give proportionately, sacrificially, and with the cheerful heart, financial success is not the definition of blessing, though God does bless some people with wealth. But the Bible does guarantee that God will bless your decision to give faithfully and promises that God will take care of you, that God will provide for all your needs. And more than you could ever imagine, physically, spiritually. I want to share an example of God's blessing pillar from someone who's not so wealthy. Maybe someone a little bit more like all of us. And it's from my own family's history. Uh, From my grandpa post. I shared this once before, uh, but I think it's worth hearing again. My paca, that's grandpa, in Frisian and that's a language spoken in a northern province of the Netherlands. My paka immigrated to the US after World War II and he ended up in Northwest Indiana. Grandpa Post had 10 children, 9 girls and a boy. So yeah, Grandpa Post worked very hard his whole life, long hours, probably very long hours, but he was not wealthy. But he was committed to a Christian education for his children. For ten children, remember. There was no way humanly possible he could afford that education. But you know what he did? Each year he sent his kids, he put one foot in front of the other, and somehow, miraculously, God provided every month Every year, all those years. Now, did he sit back and do nothing? No, he worked really hard. Did his kids work and make money as soon as they were able and contribute to the household income? You bet they did. Did they wear the latest fashions? They sure didn't. Did they go on grand vacations? Never. Not that any of those things are bad, certainly not. But are those things necessary? No. Should we let stuff and earthly comforts and how other people around us are spending their money get in the way of what our financial priorities need to be? No. We can never, ever do that. My mom just had lunch with nine of her ten siblings. They're all living still, by the way. Um, One just couldn't be there. Uh, Some of their spouses were there and her father, my Paca, who's... 93 now. And they have no regrets at all if you ask them about the life God gave them growing up. The point is, Grandpa Post was faithful to God's call in a matter that had significant financial ramifications and God did not let him down. On the contrary, God blessed him richly You can apply this to Christian education if you want, but this is more about the general principle that when you put financial priorities in the right place, God will provide. He will bless. And He'll bless in ways our finite, fearful, tentative, untrusting little minds can't even imagine. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty in Malachi. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates. He will bring the blessing. Found a little poem that I want to conclude with uh, about giving biblically. Here it goes. Leftovers are such humble things we would not serve to a guest. And yet we serve them to our Lord who deserves the very best. We give to Him leftover time, stray minutes here and there, leftover cash. We give to Him such few coins as we can spare. We give our youth unto the world to hatred, lust, and strife. And then in declining years, we give to Him the remnant of our life. While each one of us still has breath and life, how do our Giving pillars look. Giving proportionately, sacrificially, cheerfully, in other words, giving God's way, it will lead to blessing. That's a promise from God's Word.